Yeah, so I have the privilege of um, continuing our series in Luke. Guys, we're still in Luke chapter one. We're going to be in Luke till Jesus comes back, I swear. <laughs> the way we're going. Um, so anybody here a NBA fan watching the finals? Raise your hand. Wave at me. Usually what happens, right, is you have people who don't like the sport, but when it comes to like the championship game or something, everybody, like the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl parties, there's like 50 people at the party. Maybe three of them actually know what's going on They're at the game. Everybody else is just there for the commercials or the stars, the halftime show, or the food, right? But we have the NBA Finals going on. We have uh, Golden State playing the Boston Celtics. Um, really good series. You have stars on both sides. And, you know, I was watching a little bit of the recap of game one, and you see um, Golden State, they were, for three quarters, they were destroying the Celtics. And then for some reason, the fourth quarter, it's like a switch went on and they couldn't miss a shot, the Celtics, and they ended up coming back and winning the game. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, one of the things that's crazy is that the two coaches on both sides, they're great coaches, right? And before the game, um, they have game plans of things that they want to accomplish. Um, they have uh, strategies that they want to do, right? So Golden State is an amazing scoring team. They have great scorers on their team. They have one of the best shooters that has ever lived in Steph Curry, and then probably the second best shooter I think I've ever seen in Klay Thompson, Right? And he's a great defender. And then you have Draymond. You have all these guys, Kaminga. And then on the Boston Celtics side, you have Jason Tatum, who's like 23 years old, like just, just destroying the league. You have all these young guys really doing a great thing. Um, so the coaches go and they strategize what they want to do in a game, right? Now, um, if you guys have been following basketball, Steph Curry, like I said, he's one of the greatest shooters ever. But one of the things that he's... He's won already three rings. Um, he's going for his fourth ring. He's, uh, he's a champion. He's won uh, for the first time uh, in the Western Conference Finals. They had an MVP, and it was the Magic Johnson Award, and he won that, right? So this kid is accomplishing great things. But one thing that eludes him is the finals MVP. Um, previously, when they won, they gave it the first time that they won to Andre Iguodala, and then they gave it to KD, if I'm not mistaken, the, the other times that they won. So this is something, and the commentators have been talking about it, and they're like, he just needs this one thing to be great. He just needs this one thing to cement his legacy that he's one of the greatest ever. And you have the coaches, and Steve Kerr's a respected coach. He's won a lot. As a player, he won a lot. And now as a coach, he's won a lot. And he sets up a game plan, and it would be really sad to watch uh, Stephen Curry go out there and dismiss the game plan that the coach has so he could get the award that he thinks needs to make him great, right? It'd be, and maybe they do win the, the, you know, the championship, and it'll be like, okay, that's great, but just imagine the, the reflection on his teammates that he would go and be selfish at this point in time just so he can win an award, right? He dismisses the coach. He doesn't, he doesn't stick to the game plan. He doesn't obey what's going on. He's, he's going to be a renegade or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And kind of that's where I'm going today with my message, 
right? And you're like, how are you doing that with the, the portion of scripture that you're reading? I don't know. Um, no, <laughs> I was saying that to myself when Justin passed out the, the scriptures and I was like, I got this. And I was like, what am I supposed to preach on? I was like, Justin had like 75 verses. Tiffany had like 75. And then you give me like seven verses that the most obscure part of scripture. Um, but I started to think about that and I saw something in this and I, I thought it was um, really important for the church to hear. So if you can, just uh, you have your papers in front of you. We're going to read Luke 1, 57 to 66. <clears throat> now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And at the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosened and he spoke blessing God. And fear came on all the neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Could you take down the monitor just a bit? Let's pray real quick. Lord, I thank you for allowing us to be in your house once again today, God. And I pray in this moment, as we get ready to hear your word, open up our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Open up our hearts to be receptive to what you want to do in our lives, Lord God, what you want to change in our hearts, what you want to convict us of, what you want us to um, do differently, Lord God. I pray that your word would have such an effect on our hearts, Lord God, that it would when we leave here, it would uh, be apparent to our friends and our family, Lord God, and that we would share this word with them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we start off and we see that the promise that was made in Luke 1.14 was being fulfilled. Now, I know that was a few weeks ago, so I'm just going to recap and read just Luke 1.14. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. So if you don't remember, if you weren't here, maybe earlier on in chapter one, the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah while he's in the temple doing his temple duties and tells Zechariah, you and your wife, God has heard your prayers and you're going to, um, your wife's going to be pregnant. She's going to give birth to a son, and his name will be John. So, and in that, Zechariah, he was a priest, and I think many times when we read this, we get hard on Zechariah because we're like, dude, you know, you know the story about Abraham and Sarah. You know God can do this kind of thing because they were old. So it's like, we're going to have a baby now? Zechariah is probably like, I can't carry a baby. My back hurts all the time. Um, Elizabeth probably like, yo, I'm old. Like, we, we go to sleep at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. You know, baby's going to be up late. But God saw fit to bless him with a son. So Zechariah, in his disbelief, questions 
what God is going to do. And the angel's like, because you question, you're going to be a mute. You're not going to be able to talk. And, you know, until you, you know, confirm that the, the boy's name is going to be John. <clears throat> so we get to this point of the story and she gives birth. And one thing that we see in her giving birth is that the relatives and the neighbors, they rejoice with her. Why are they rejoicing? They're rejoicing because the shame that she had for so long of not being a mother, not being able to bear a child, was no longer upon her. That was something that was looked at very harshly at that time. When a woman was barren, usually what would end up happening was the husband would take another wife so that he could carry on his lineage. But we see Zechariah didn't take another wife. He stood loyal to Elizabeth and he continued to pray with her and God saw fit to take away her shame, to bring joy in the midst of her sadness, in the midst of her shame. And the relatives in the family, they saw it and they were rejoicing with what God had done. They were like, God is good because he gave Elizabeth and Sarah. They're righteous. They, they live by the law. They live to please God. And God saw fit to bless them. Now, one of the craziest things I read while I was reading up on this and I don't know if it was Justin's commentary that shared or a different one. I think it was MacArthur or something. And one of the commentaries said that at that time when the birth was going to happen, say they didn't know if it was a boy or a girl until the baby was born. There was no way for them to tell. Um, even though, you know, like, I think of like the, the stuff that growing, being around friends and stuff where they're like, Oh, if you carry high, it's a girl. If you carry low, it's a boy. Oh, if, you're, if your beauty starts to fade, it's a girl. She's stealing your beauty. All that kind of stuff. There's no way for you to know. So what they would do is they would get the musicians of the area and the, the, the neighbors and everything, they would wait. And then when they would hear her, it's a boy, they would rejoice and start playing the trumpets and everything like there was a party going on. And when it was a girl, they wouldn't play. They would just leave. It was like, wow, that's harsh, man. It was like, you didn't have a kid. And now you have a kid. Like, wow. But, and I, I don't know if that's true or not. I just thought I would share that because that was like really harsh. It hurt my feel. I was like, I feel bad. Like, I wish I could go back and like, everybody who had a kid, let's celebrate you at that moment in time. But she has a son, right? And everybody's rejoicing. Everybody's going crazy in it. God takes away their shame. He gives them a lineage. He gives Zechariah a lineage. Zechariah wouldn't, his line would have ended. He would have not been able to carry on a line. So God was showing his hased once again. Justin preached about it last week. We've been, since Ruth, we've been in this like just place of where God is just continually showing his loving kindness to his people. And God, again, just comes through and he doesn't have to do these things. He chooses to do these things because of his goodness and his greatness. And then we learn eight days later, the child's going to be circumcised. This is not uncommon. This is something that goes back to Abraham, right? After eight days, the child's going to be circumcised. This was the mark of a Hebrew, right? This is how you know that there's a covenant with God is through circumcision. The man would be circumcised. So this is not something that's uncommon. They're coming back to do what's traditional, all of those kind of things. But while they do the circumcision, they're going to give him a name. And the neighbors and the family members go, well, 
His name's going to be Zechariah because he's going to carry on the lineage. His name's going to be Zechariah. And Ruth's like, no, his name's John. And they're probably like, Ruth, you're not sleeping, girl. You don't know what you're talking about. You're bugging out. There's nobody in your family named John. What's wrong with you? And she just goes and she doesn't give in. She's like, no, his name is John. So they don't listen to, to Ruth. I mean to Ruth, sorry. They don't listen to Elizabeth, right? They turn and they, they go to Zechariah and they start signing to him. Now I want to stop there for a second. Zechariah could have been really salty at this point in time. He could have been really in his feelings because God appears to him, says he's going to have a son. He questions God because he's like, how? You know, if you read, it's not like Zechariah was like, God, you're bugging. You're out of your mind. Like, like Gabriel, you don't know what you're talking about. It was a question. But his heart showed that he just didn't have faith to believe God in that. So that's why it ended up happening. But he could have been in his feelings at this moment in time. He could have been really hurt, like, why would you do this to me, God? Like, I've served you all this time, and you chose to take away my voice. And then on top of that, you got people signing. He's mute. He's not deaf. Why are you signing to him? He can hear everything that's going on in the room. I read this, and I'm like, what's wrong with people? But it was like, it reminded me, I used to work at a bank a long time ago when I was much younger, before I even got married. And I worked in a neighborhood that was predominantly Italian. So you had a lot of Italian-speaking people who really didn't speak too good English. And they would come into the bank, and they would have their, their money and passbooks. I don't know if everybody knows what a passbook is, but they would have their passbooks, and they would come in, and they would have their money, and they want you to put the money in, and then they want you to print on the passbook what their balance was, right? But they didn't speak good English, so they would come in, and they would just put it there and look at you. And I had a coworker, what do you want? Yelling. And I would turn to her, Kenya, they're not deaf. They just don't understand English. So you yelling it is not going to make them understand you anymore. But it never got through. She always did the same thing over and over. This is what Zechariah must have been dealing with for nine months. People just keep signing at him. And he's like, I can hear you. I just can't talk. Like, it's here. It's not here. So... Zechariah goes and, you know, like I say, he could have been in his feelings and he could have said, you know what? Yeah, his name is Zechariah. His name is Zechariah. He's my son. He's going to carry my name. But what does he do? He writes in the tablet, his name is John. He doubles down and he says, no, 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 his name is John because God has called his name John. And this is kind of where I want to get into the main crux of what I'm sharing today. Jewish culture was based a lot on tradition, a lot on, they, they did things a certain way for so many years, and they did them over and over and over again. And the pressure in that room that day, it was family, it was friends, it was a priest that was doing the circumcision, all of this stuff was going on. And it could have been easy to give in to the pressure and say, God, I'm, I'm I'm not going to obey what you told me in the temple. He's my son. They, you know, they need to know that he's going to carry on my name. He should have my name. 
He could have easily given in and nobody would have questioned him. Nobody. They would have dismissed Elizabeth and they would have said, no, Zechariah is right. His name is Zechariah. But he didn't give in to the pressure. He obeyed God in the midst of the pressure that was on him in that room. And it says when he wrote his name, that immediately his tongue was loose. His, his voice was restored. And the first thing out of his mouth was blessings to God. Like Mary that we heard about last week, what does he do? He doesn't talk about it should have been this way or should have been that way. No, his blessings towards God. And we get to hear it next week. I don't know who's preaching next week, but we get to hear it next week. Some of the blessings that he, um, he exudes on God. He gives, he gives off to God. But when I was reading this, it brought me back to a story in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And I'm reading from 20 to 27, but I'll recap. So Samuel was a prophet. And at this time, Saul was king. And God had told Samuel to tell Saul, I want you to go and destroy the Amalekites. I want them wiped off the face of the earth. Seems harsh. God said, the men, the women, the children, the, the donkeys, the cattle, the gold, the jewels, everything is gone. Nothing. Take nothing for yourselves. Take Everything has to go. And Saul goes and he battles. And Saul, being Saul at this time, he doesn't follow through with what God tells him to do. And we're going to pick up from verse 20 to 27. And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the, fat of, than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, Please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the words of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. We see the contrast of Elizabeth and Zechariah to King Saul. Saul was commanded to do something and he says it himself. He says, I gave in to, their, to, to what the people wanted. I, I, I gave in to them because I feared them. But he kind of preludes that with saying, oh, we're going to go sacrifice to you, God. We're going to go give these sacrifices. We're going to do burnt offerings to you. And Samuel's like, does God want sacrifices over obedience? No. And if I could be honest with you, I think today, a lot of us, we, we are caught up in grand gestures to God above obedience. 
We'll post a thousand scriptures that we read in the morning, our favorite worship songs. We'll do all these things to show how great God is. We'll give, we'll do all these things. But when God commands us to do something, hey, call that brother or that sister because they're going through something. And I'm going to use you to be my vessel to bring a breakthrough in their life or to bring some, some hope in their heart that they're not alone in this. And you won't call because you're worried what that person might think of you or you're worried what people might say if you're calling, oh, you think you're better than other people. You think you're this or you think you're that, right? We give in to the pressure because we don't want to be we, we don't want to be different. We don't want to be out of the crowd, so we give into it. We compromise our lives because we don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. So I still want to hang out with these friends, God. I still want to be really close with these friends. So I'll go hang out with them. I'll go to the club with them. I'll go to the bar with them. But God, I'm just going to have one drink. I'm just going to do this one time. Uh, you know, it's okay if I go and dance because... Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not in sin, but God's like, but I'm asking you to obey me, not to go. God, but we'll compromise, right? So I'll go, but I won't dance. I'll just stand here. I'm holy still. I'm not dancing. And God's like, but I didn't ask you to go and just to stand there. I asked you not to go, to be set apart, to be holy, to be a royal priesthood. And we have a king who gave in to the people. A king, right? He was, not, he was not a common folk. Saul, if he wanted to, he could have just snapped his fingers and the soldiers would have destroyed everybody that was there. Whether it was the people that were taking the stuff or family members, he, he could have done anything he wanted because he was king, but he gave in to the people. So it doesn't matter your stature or your clout you can easily give in to the pressure that's around you. You can easily give in and disobey and forfeit what God has. See, but the beauty in obedience is what we see come out of Zechariah's confirmation of his son's name. It says that fear came on all the neighbors and all these things talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And everyone who heard him, they laid it up in their hearts and they said, who could this child be? For the hand of God was with him. When we obey God, God's hand remains on us. When we disobey him, his hand is removed. He won't, he won't, he won't put his hand on someone who's being disobedient. He just, you do what you want to do. You know how many times I've done that to my kids when I'm telling them to do something and they don't listen? And I'm like, okay, do what you want to do. And then five minutes later, they run into a wall or they fall and hurt themselves. And then they have to live with the consequences of them falling. It hurts. Now daddy will come and hug you and, and rescue you. But you didn't have to go through that pain if you just listen and you just did what I said you had to do. We see 
God used their obedience to spread the word about the child, John. John is just a baby, eight days old. Nothing great is happening with John right now. This is not the John that's in the wilderness eating the locusts and honey and baptizing people. This is not that John yet. This is just baby John. But what does God do? He uses their obedience to spread the word. This child is special. The hand of God is on this child. And everybody hears it. So everybody starts talking about John before he's done anything. There's the bochinche at the time, right? About John going around. There's this, have you heard about Elizabeth and Zachariah's son, John? And then they start telling the story. And people are like, wow. And all of them are like, yo, God's hand is on this kid. Imagine if Saul had commanded the people to do what God wanted them to do. This is where he lost the kingdom. This is where the story of David begins, where he lost the kingdom. God is calling us as his people to be obedient. Not to get caught up in all the sacrifice and all the things that we could do, the grand gestures. And I'm a person of grand gestures. My wife is right there. Next Sunday, we'll be celebrating 18 years of marriage. I've been killing myself for like six months. What the heck am I going to do to make it special? And I still don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I, got, I got six days to figure it out, right? Six days. Oh, thanks, son. I have six days to figure it out. But she can tell you, I'm a person of grand gestures. I love getting her gifts and showering her with love and all the stuff that I could shower her with. Um, Mother's Day, we did some, some custom um, blazers with Micah and Shiloh's name on the back. Like, I thought about that, and I was just like, I really wanted to get that for her. Um, I love just doing things for people and just bringing joy to their face. And we can get caught up in trying to do that for God and missing the mark of just being obedient to him. So we have to, we're not obedient. So what happens is that we think we have to make up for the fact that we weren't obedient. So like I said, we'll, we'll get on social media and we'll do our devotion. We'll have the, the Bible out with the pen and the highlighter, the coffee. There you go. The coffee, the Jesus cup, that it says like, Jesus, you are great or something like that on it. Then we'll put the special worship song, um, you know, uh, for the Spanish people in the room, we'll put the Spanish version of that worship song on there and everything. And we'll have some great caption. And yeah, I've done it. So I'm not, I'm not making fun. I've done it myself. And you'll do that. Or <clears throat> you come into church and you think, I have to worship louder. I have to praise him even harder because we're trying to make up for the fact that we just weren't obedient with what he was asking us to do. We just didn't submit what we wanted to do. And one of the things that that scripture in Samuel says, and it's quoted so much, obedience is better than sacrifice. Can I tell you, obedience will require sacrifice on your part. Sacrificing what you want, sacrificing all the things that you crave to do because you're obedient to God. So God is calling you to, don't know if there's anybody in this room, God is calling you to be, uh, 
you know, a local missionary in the Bronx. You're like, yo, I'm a Brooklyn head. I've never lived in the Bronx. I don't like the Bronx. I don't even like the Yankees. I won't go up there. I love the Yankees. This is a testimony. The Yankees are playing right now, and I'm preaching. Just letting you know. God is good. God is good. Um, I ain't going to say who, but like, I would be like one of my brothers that would be in church watching a soccer game while Justin was preaching. I would probably be watching a Yankee game while somebody was preaching. I ain't saying who it is. <laughs> Everybody knows who it is, or there's a few people who know exactly who it is. I love them. But um, there, there, there's things that God has asking, been asking us to do. And I've often said that God is, God is a gentleman. God is, he doesn't force obedience on us. He makes the strongest suggestion that you could make. I'm God and I'm asking you to do this. And he leaves it up to us if we're going to obey or not. And like I said, obedience is going to cost you a lot. And as I get ready to close, musicians, you could come on up. My question to you is, what's more important? The acceptance and the applause of man or the smile of heaven? I'd rather make God happy than please anybody in this room, including my wife and my parents who are sitting right there. He's more important. What he asked me to do is more important than what anybody else wants me or tries to force on me or tries to tell me to do just to be part of the crowd, just to be accepted into anybody's circle. And sometimes it's riches that gets thrown in front of you. Sometimes it's popularity, it's influence, it's, it's all these different things. And I could have came up with a great closure, but honestly, God is asking you today, will you obey or won't you? Will you be like Elizabeth and Zechariah or will you be like Saul? Which one do you want to be like? Which one do you want to mirror? Saul was king, right? But Zechariah and Elizabeth, they gave birth to the forerunner. And they started the bochinche before anybody else did because of their obedience to God. And I can't forget, maybe there's someone in this room, you've been disobedient in a sense, and you're feeling salty because of the repercussions of that disobedience. You've missed the mark, and it happens to all of us. I'm, not, I, I'm the first person that has failed to obey God so many times. I failed to shut my mouth when he told me to shut my mouth. I failed to follow through on a call or a thing that he's asked me to do. But I can tell you, there's, there, there's the throne of grace that's there that we can run to. And he forgives and he restores, but he doesn't take away the consequences of our, of our disobedience. So if you're in your feelings today, you can start pointing behind me. If you're in your feelings today, if there's saltiness or bitterness towards God in your heart because of a decision that you've made, I want to tell you, he is waiting with open arms to receive you back 
to restore you and to help you get rid of those feelings and see that his love has never changed for you because you disobeyed. He, in fact, he knew you were going to do it. And still, he gave you the opportunity to choose to obey or not. 